0: Good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I'm Randy, and uh, we're just delighted uh, to have the privilege of worshiping together, um, and as Kevin said earlier, uh, we are a life-changing community passionately pursuing Christ, and um, uh, Emily said in her prayer of how powerful the name of Jesus is, and um, um, those of us who call Windsor Road our home can attest to the difference that Christ has made in our life and how he has given us a perspective and an outlook on life uh, that, is, um, that goes beyond this life. And, and because it goes beyond this life, it helps us see this life um, uh, as he wants us to see it. And, and we are able to speak Our words, the way He wants us to use our words. And so we're in a series uh, about words, about the words that we speak. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life. Our words have a deathward direction or a lifeward direction, depending on how we choose to use those words. And so the challenge as we've been thinking about this series is, how are we using our words? How are we stewarding the words that come out of our mouths? And that calls for a heart a heart that is flooded with the love of God because a word has never come out of your mouth that first did not reside in your heart. And so when a heart is flooded with Christ's love, then we speak on behalf of the King. Now, words are very important in our culture today. The stewardship of those words, the use of those words... I don't know if you had a chance to read the front page of the News Gazette on Friday but it concerned a mass email that uh, Dr. Robert Jones sent uh, to uh, students and faculty at the U of I about words. It had to do with words and here's a few excerpts from that. Universities like ours Are places where controversial and sometimes divisive issues are considered and debated. It is the role of higher education to address difficult topics, and it is often at the uncomfortable edges of challenging conversations, words, where we make our greatest advances. We value respectful discourse while also recognizing that even offensive speech is protected by the First Amendment. The best recourse to speech with which we disagree is more speech. Speech that clearly articulates a stronger and better argued point of view. Speech that represents the values we hold most dear. Speech that builds connections and shared understanding. Now, this email came about as a result of offensive speech that's uh, uh, taken place on... uh, the campus of the university. Uh, offensive, speech, uh, uh, speech, uh, offensive speech involving racist speech. Uh, offensive speech involving criticism about political views. Um, uh, offensive speech regarding harassment of those with uncertain uh, immigration status. That was the context uh, of uh, dr. Jones's remarks and then he closes by saying every one of us has the rights of free speech and free expression and every one of us also has the power to choose how we exercise those rights we are at our best when we engage in dialogue that encompasses the widest range of views and voices we do not need to agree on every issue but hopefully we can agree that showing respect and regard for those around us is always a choice we can make and uh... And the email concluded with his signature and the signatures of of a couple on his staff. Um, I thought it was very well worded, uh, and I was glad to read the actual email itself. Um, In fact, I had read the article and was about just to comment on the article. But remember I told you a couple weeks ago? Don't just look at what the article says about a particular document. If you can go to the original primary source, go there, and then you can see and evaluate. Um, When Dr. Jones was speaking about discourse and speech and conversation, he's grounding his words on the truth source of the First Amendment, right? That's the foundation. That's the foundation upon which he rested what he had to say. When Americans talk about free speech or speech, Americans appeal to the First Amendment because Americans can do that. When Christians talk about speech, hear me, Christians appeal to Christ. To Christ. And Christ's standards for our speech are stricter than those provided in the First Amendment. Okay? Speech under the rule of King Jesus is more restrictive than speech under the first amendment because the first amendment doesn't say be holy in your speech does it see but jesus says you be holy and you let your life be holy and you let your words be holy speech under the rule of christ is in fact more restrictive and has a more powerful effect on our world. God can do more with your speech under His rule than speech under the rule of the First Amendment. And do you know why? Because The First Amendment allows you to speak for yourself. But in Christ, He has freed you to speak for Him. And when you speak for the King, your speech is automatically more powerful. And when you speak for the King, do you know what that makes you? an ambassador an ambassador can i just say something right now my family has been in america for the past 200 years you cut me and i bleed american i'm wondering if if i'm wondering if i'm wondering if you believe me I'm just, I'm just, I don't know if, if it's just me or if it's, I just had too much coffee or I'm just wondering if, I'm just wondering if, 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 so what I better do is I better get to the Bible really quickly here, okay? So why don't you take your Bibles and why don't you turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 to 21. And we are going to consider that God has a mission for your mouth, which makes you, us, His ambassadors. And we're going to look at these verses and study who we are in Christ and what our vocation is in Christ, And what our calling is as a church family, a 24-7 vocation that affects our lives. And it is this word, ambassador, ambassador. And what I hope to show you is that when you submit, your heart and your life and your mind and your speech under the rule of the resurrected King Jesus, your speech will have a far more powerful effect than under the rule of any other authority. That's what I want to try to, that's what I want to try to persuade us toward this morning. But let's listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. 5 14 to 21. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, This is God's Word. So if you're in Christ, you're an ambassador for Christ, and God wants to use your life and especially your words to draw others to Him. And so this is life under the rule of Christ. This is speech under the rule of Christ. As ambassadors for Christ, God wants our talk to attract others to Him. So we're talking about a vocation whose speech impacts others with our words. And so do our words draw others to Jesus? Does our talk cause others to be attracted to Christ. As I remind us of this ever so important vocation in order for us to fulfill our mission to, to contagiously influence our world for Him and to passionately pursue Christ, I want to cover this morning the, the mission of the ambassador. We'll see that it is a representative mission. I want to talk about the, the method Of the ambassador that the ambassador for Christ speaks winsomely and artfully and tactfully and truthfully with the words that come out of their mouths and then I want to talk about the motive what is it that's the driving factor behind all of this the ambassadors mission the ambassadors method the ambassadors motive as ambassadors for Christ. First, the mission. The mission is a representative mission. Paul says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, I found that word ambassador very interesting. Uh, The New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language, and the word ambassador is uh, actually the word... um, I I put that Greek up there to impress you. Are you impressed? The word is presbuo. Presbyo. Some of you come from a Presbyterian church background. That's where that word comes from. And the word Presbyo literally means to be the eldest. To be the eldest, and uh, you know how words kind of slide into other meanings, and that's what's going on here with this word presbuo, ambassador. It literally means to be an elder, but it slides into a meaning to be a person of honor because there was it was an honor culture in uh, the first century, and the eldest was the person of greatest honor. And then it slid into representing the person of greatest honor, and who would that be other than and the king so an ambassador is someone who represents the king now in our day the reason why ambassadors exist and the reason why the u.s. has embassies with other countries is for the sake of friendship that's the kind of the philosophy behind em- uh, embassies is for the sake of peace It's for the sake of diplomatic relations. And so when we travel around the world uh, to other countries, uh, we can go to a U.S. embassy and we can experience a little bit of the U.S. on foreign soil. All right? So that's our mindset about embassies and ambassadorships. Okay? In the first century... It wasn't quite like that. And it's important for us to make this distinction. Otherwise, we'll see this word ambassador and we'll think 21st century. Let's go back to the first century. When two nations or countries negotiated, the lesser nation or the weaker nation would send an ambassador to the more powerful nation. Are you with me? Say yes. Yes. But not the other way around. In the first century, Rome was the dominant power. And they typically did not have embassies in the nations of lesser powers. Because they were the power. On the other hand, the lesser powers had embassies in Rome. You see, Rome really didn't have ambassadors. They had generals. They had military governors. Rome generally didn't have embassies scattered about in first century Israel. They had an occupying military force. You get what I'm saying? See, as a superpower in the first century, Rome's attitude was, we don't need your friendship, but you sure better need ours. Because we got some legions and chariots and and we 're not afraid to use them okay? so if you want our friendship, you come to us. you send a representative to us <laughs> i, I, I didn 't know that I found that interesting in a commentary over second Corinthians. Uh, a Bible scholar, David Garland, uh, wrote about Augustus Caesar bragging about all the royal ambassadors that had to come to him to seek his audience. He didn't have to go to them. See, Augustus didn't send ambassadors. He sent armies. And they just crushed any resistance because Rome was the dominant power. Does that make sense? Now, here's the here, here Here's the connection. These verses that I just read tell of the all-powerful, dominant God who created the heavens and the earth with words, and this almighty, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God, this God who is capable of crushing with the Word, this God has ambassadors. Hmm. Meaning this God is a peacemaker this God wants you to taste and see that he is good this God wants community with us this God wants friendship this God is a reconciling God and he reconciles through his commissioned and sent people you are never dismissed from these worship services instead you are sent 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Notice Paul doesn't say, Therefore I am, as if he is an apostle and only apostle. He said, we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. So God wants to use our voices to speak to others. God wants to use our eyes to look into the faces of others. God wants to use these bodies to to meet with others. Our hands are His hands. Our feet are His feet. Our mouths, His mouth. So to be an ambassador means I'm always asking the question... Lord, what is it you want done in this situation? Lord, how can I bring your peace and your agenda into this room? Lord, how can I encourage and build up? How can I bring life with my words into this person's life? How can I pray for others? What message am I bringing about God as I speak in this place? What impressions do others have about God from my life? You think about how you became a Christian. Wasn't it because you witnessed the quality of someone else's life? And you were persuaded. And they spoke gospel words on behalf of Jesus. God made an appeal that impacted your life through them. And what Paul is saying is that ambassadors we serve the king and we speak for the king and and this is so important especially as we understand 1st and 2nd Corinthians we work at the same embassy Now if you know anything about the Corinthian church they were so divided In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul had to say, you know, I beg you. He's begging you. I beg you that there be no divisions among you. Be united in the same mind. Paul urged a relentless unity in Christ. In fact, he ha- seems like in each one of the New Testament letters, he has to appeal to unity. I'm thinking of what the Apostle Paul said uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says if, if, uh, if there's any encouragement in being united in Christ, if there's any comfort uh, from His love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now often, when we read those words in Philippians chapter 2, We go straight to the self-sacrificing love of Christ, which is so very so very appropriate. And we also need to consider why Paul even mentioned that entire section in Philippians chapter two. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. You know where Paul was when he gave those words. He was in prison, and they're concerned about his welfare. And he doesn't know what the outcome of his trial is going to be when he has to stand before Caesar. And so they're wondering, well, are you going to be okay, Paul? Can we send you some food? Can we send you some... How can we... And Paul said, you want to know how you can help me? Do you want to know how you can minister to me while I'm in chains for the gospel? Do you want to know what would really make a difference? Don't send me a meal. Don't send me a "hope you get out soon" card. You know what would make my joy? Be like-minded, having the same unity. Get along. Get now. I finally understand. When I asked my father what he wanted for Christmas, he would smile at me and he would say, "All I want is three good boys." I don't know if he ever got that or not but you you hear what you hear how important this is we serve the same embassy and so that which unites us in Christ outweighs anything uh, pertaining to our differences and preferences and our commitment to relentless unity our biggest threat is not outside ourselves it's internal this much is true divided divisive hearts will distract us from helping others find god do you hear that divided divisive hearts will distract us from helping others find god and that is our ministry Helping others find God. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of helping others find God. And, and you can't do that without talking. And so when you talk, you never talk for yourself. You talk for your king. And how you respond to those who differ from you, uh, whether inside or outside the church family, is as important than the thing over which You differ i'll say that again how you respond to those who differ from you is as important than the thing over which you differ Hmm. and that leads us to the methods of the ambassador for christ you see paul tells us in verse 16 from now on we regard no one according to the flesh so we're not going to look at people from an From from below, we're going to look at people from a kingdom perspective. From above, as C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal. And later in 2 Corinthians, as you just follow along down, Paul tells how he conducts himself as an ambassador for Christ. His style... He says, We well, you know you know we put no obstacles in anyone's way, but we commend ourselves as servants of God. Verses 6 and 7, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful speech, and by the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In other words, the, our kingdom perspective influences our Method of talk. Paul's talk is truthful and tactful and thoughtful and skillful. The ambassador is a diplomat and therefore our speech must be diplomatic. So let's have some diplomacy training right now. All right? Here are some diplomatic phrases which serve as helpful tools in your conversations about faith, family conflict resolution if you disagree about doctrinal or political issues here are some diplomatic phrases for your toolbox and I really am serious about learning to master these and use these and practice these yes that's right practice these and the first diplomatic phrase is I could be wrong." I could be wrong. I could be wrong. The next time you're having a spat with your spouse, use this. I could be wrong. If I were talking to a room full of skeptics, I would say, you know what? I'm Randy. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus spoke truthfully about the world, and I believe that Christianity is actually true with a capital T. And then I'll, I will say I could be wrong, but I'm not making this up and I'm not simply emoting. I have reasons that I've carefully thought about. I have an argument. and You're going to need to deal with that, but I could be wrong. Let's just practice saying that together for a moment, could we? All right. On three, let's say I could be wrong. One, two, three. I could be wrong. Now, for some of you, I don't know if you believed you, okay, <laughs> let's try that again and and humor me okay on three one two three i could be wrong i could be wrong this removes barriers immediately you know it i mean it's an honest admission that i'm fallible and and some people really some christians really have a hard time saying this yeah but jesus can't be wrong and the bible can't be wrong i'm not saying that jesus and the bible are wrong i'm saying i could be wrong okay i i don't know everything i'm capable of making mistakes when you say when you just get that out front it just tells others that you want to be fair-minded and even-handed we do not want to come across inappropriately dogmatic we want to convey what princeton legal scholar robert george calls and i love this phrase this is a great phrase intellectual fallibility intellectual fallibility is the idea that i have something to learn from people who disagree with me Hmm. i have something to learn from people who disagree with me and that begins with the phrase i could be wrong all right let's move on here's another powerful phrase and it's this it's just i sympathize with your concern I sympathize with your concern. So let's say someone raises an objection against Christianity. You know, why does God allow suffering? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why did God let this happen? That's an important question. And so we need to respond by saying, I sympathize with your concern. I can understand why that would bother you. Or, you know, that's a good point. That's a fair concern. You know what? sometimes others actually do have good points. And when we give credit where credit is due, we come across as reasonable. We do not have to be so insecure about our own ideas that we can't give any ground when it's deserved. If we model fairness in our speech, then we're more likely to get it back in return. And what's important about these phrases, and I've got a few others, that, you know, they're diplomatic and they just soften the tone. And they make our case more reasonable. They invite consideration by lowering another's defenses. And these phrases are not tricks. Now, now you know, don't say them if you don't believe them. Or don't say them sarcastically. I could be wrong. That's not what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Right, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Guilty is charged. Sarah, I, I could be wrong. How is that possible? If we, don't think, if we don't think we can be wrong, then how, how, people who don't think they're ever wrong, they're not teachable. Okay? And here's the thing about being an effective ambassador for Christ, and this is so important. The gospel is offensive enough. The gospel says that there is a holy God who created the heavens and the earth and he created uh, human life as as the pinnacle of creation and they rebelled. And instead of following the great speaker, they went after the great deceiver. And our world has been broken since. And, And... Sin has so corrupted us that it makes us proud and it takes God's entrance into this world the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us it takes an invasion of love to melt our hearts of stone you the gospel says you are more evil than you ever imagined and more loved than you could ever dream see that's offensive we don't need to add any more offense by being personally obnoxious or rude or interruptive. So here are some other phrases. Here's some other phrases. After someone says what they want to say, whatever that is, respond this way. Respond by saying, Excuse me, do you mind if I ask you a question? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? That's a great question. Greg Kokel from an organization called Stand to Reason. He's spoken here twice at Windsor Road over the past years. STR.org. I commend that site to you. Greg taught me. What do you mean by that? See, it's a great question because it's a clarifying question, isn't it? It's a question to gather more information. Listen, don't assume that you and the other person agree on the definition of a term. And what do you mean by that gets to clarification. Oh, that person's just a conservative. Well, What do you mean by that? Oh, they're just liberal. What do you mean by that? Well, this is just a social justice church. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm all about eternal security. What do you mean by that? Do you think you can lose your salvation? What do you mean by that? Lose? Like, I lost my car keys last week. What do you mean by that? Sometimes the same word can be used in different ways. For instance, some run fast. Con artists pull fast deals sailors anchor their boats fast others observe a fast on special days what do you mean by that what do you mean by that and then as a follow up question as a follow up question how did you come to that conclusion how did you come uh, another way to say it is what makes you think that's the right way to see it or, I'm curious, why would that idea seem compelling to you? How did you come to that conclusion? Hmm. So that question charitably assumes that the person has actually come to a conclusion. And that that person has reasons for their view. And they just don't have, just, and they're not merely strong feelings about it. And so it offers a chance to express their rationale if they have any. And it also slows the pace of the conversation down. And you know what? When you ask that question, well, how did you come to that conclusion? You may find yourself surprised to know that most people are not prepared to respond. So don't be startled if you get a blank stare because many people have never really thought through their views and they don't know why they hold them. And, and, and they're, 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 some of them get caught off guard and so they'll just quip well, I don't have any reasons. I just believe that. Which is a remarkable admission and a very silly thing to say. And so in that situation, I tend to ask, well, why would you believe something when you have no reason to think it's true? <laughs> you see how simple that is? Hmm. What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? And then here's yet another question. Are you open to another perspective? Are you open to another point of view? Hmm. Uh, It might sound like this. Let me suggest an alternative and tell me if it isn't an improvement, okay? Let me offer this alternative and, and you tell me why you think that the other alternative that you hold is better or... Or, you know, I'm not sure I agree with the way you put... I mean, if they say that they're open, then then this is what you... If they say, no, I'm not open, well, you're, you're pretty much done. Thank you. But if they say they're open, then, okay, thank you. I'm not sure I agree with the way you put that. But think about this, all right? And then you go on to explain. And then if they interrupt, if they interrupt you while you're trying to explain, you know what you say? You say this, you say... Excuse me, I wasn't finished. Excuse me. Let's, let's practice that together on three. One, two, three. Excuse me, I wasn't finished. Yeah. One more time. One, two, three. Excuse me, I wasn't finished. Yeah. Let's just take a random couple from our church family and try this scenario out. Random couple from the church, okay? Uh, so this couple, she says... Um, <laughs> She says, she says, she says, my feelings on the matter are, he says, but Sarah, she says, excuse me, I wasn't finished. He says, but Sarah, she says, excuse me, I wasn't finished. He says, but Sarah, she says, okay, dear, have it your way. Let's go to the next slide. That's where the joke is. So anyway, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens, right? Duct tape. <laughs> Paul says in Colossians 4:6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Hmm. Wow. There's a take-home verse for the day, right? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That is our method, church family. Speech that's seasoned with salt. So our mission is to represent the king. Our method is truthful and tactful talk. And our motive You see the motive, don't you? It was the very first verse we read. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Now, when Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, he's not saying, he's not saying Paul's love for Christ, he's saying Christ's love for Paul. He's saying Christ's love for all of us. He's saying that's the overriding motive. Paul's entire life has been flooded with the love of Christ. And Christ's love keeps Paul together. Christ's love constrains Paul. Christ's love compels Paul. Christ's love dominates Paul's talk. Christ's love is the compulsive force in Paul's words. Christ's love is the dominating power that effectively eradicates self-centeredness. You see, Christ's love leaves Paul no option but to live for God. because, Because Paul says that he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That they might no longer speak for themselves that they might no longer have their own agenda, but rather that they might live and speak and think and act for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you know this love? This is a love that says, I will give you. One has died for all and therefore all have died, verse 14. And here's the logic of verse 14. The logic of verse 14 is this. All humanity was condemned to death because of sin. Christ identified with sinful humanity and died, and therefore all died. And so that phrase, Christ died, therefore all died, only makes sense if Christ died as a substitute for us. But we did not send Christ to die for us. His Father did. And Christ's submission to God's will was the supreme act of self-giving love. So Christianity is an offer of love. Do you want to receive God's love? Because it is a love that makes all things new. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. My old tongue is dead. Behold, the new has come. So the entire Bible is about newness, is it not? The new age, the new humanity, a new song, a new name for believers, a new outlook on others, a new commandment of love. There's a new body. We will live forever one day in the new heavens and the new earth. We are the new Jerusalem. In Christ, we experience a total restructuring of life that changes the whole fabric. Our thinking, our feeling, our willing, our acting, our speaking. In Christ, you're not just a fixed-up fixer-upper. You're an entire new creation. That's what God is up to. And that must affect your speech because god wants us to speak like the new creation he says we are and that's why when you submit your tongue to the resurrected and reigning king of heaven and earth and you can speak diplomatically tactfully truthfully your speech has far more effect under the rule of Christ than under the rule of any human law. And your speech can fill the hearts of others. And I know that by experience because you have filled me with God's love through your mouth very regularly on Sunday morning between 7 and 8 o'clock I get texts from some of my close brothers in Christ. Here's one. Praying that you will faithfully deliver God's word that He's given you to speak today. Trusting wholly and in and resting in the power of the Holy Spirit. May God be glorified no matter what. Love you, brother. Here's another. I have prayed for you this morning based on 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. See you in church. And here's another. I have prayed for you this morning based on 1 Timothy 4, 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That is speech under the rule of the king. Here's another from another brother. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, 2. Love you, brother. And then here's another one from this same man of God. Randy, God put a staff in Moses' hand to deliver power and authority for on high. What has he put in your hand? There will be people in front of you today that need it so badly. Deliver with boldness in the name of Jesus Christ. Love you, brother. Wow. I need these words these are lifeward words and they empower me and they remind me who I am an ambassador and how I am to speak truthfully and tactfully and why I am to speak for the love of Christ controls me and by the way if you want to know the best way to begin receiving these words on your phone you start giving them and start speaking them and the way it works is this, and it's, it's a paradoxical, lose your life and gain it. The way it works is, is that you know, it's a pay it forward sort of thing. I encourage those that the Holy Spirit is prompting me to send words of encouragement to, and then God provides it for me from places I don't even, can't even imagine. But these men in my life speak this way because they know God has a mission for their mouths. And they know that a method is tactful and truthful speech. And they know that it comes with a heart motive from the love of God. God can do more with your speech under His rule than your speech under the first amendment and you are never more powerful in your speech than when you speak for the king because you see the gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved it is the bold announcement of a love that has changed the world a love that has arrested my life and freed me to live and speak in a totally new way And so the energy to get up and go on as a Christian is not from a cold sense of duty. It comes from a warm-hearted response of love, a love that has reached out, reached down, reached into my life and flooded my heart. And when Christ's love floods your heart, it changes the way you talk. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your grace and mercy and kindness. Oh, Lord, be the ruler of our hearts so that out of our hearts would flow words that give life, gospel life, resurrection life to Your glory and the good of Your people. Amen.